I'm Joanna Fortune, psychotherapist and author of the 15-Minute Parenting series. Welcome to 15-Minute Parenting, the podcast where you will learn ways to parent through play. Play is more than blowing bubbles. It is fundamental to your child's development and is the foundation of your relationship with your child. Each episode is 15 minutes long and will cover a different parenting topic. We will start with common scenarios we are all familiar with, from supermarket tantrums to screen time meltdowns. I will share some theory on the topic and end with practical play activities that will help you parent through these issues using my 15-minute parenting model. Thanks for listening. Let's get going. This episode is about that thorny subject of screen time. Is it good? Is it bad? Does it cause difficult behavior? Does it not? And does it suit your child? I want to start with a little story. Um, This is the story of a little boy, nine years old, who came to me because of problematic behavior that his parents linked to prolonged screen use. Let me explain what they meant by prolonged screen use. So this nine-year-old boy was looking for a tablet or his parents' phone first thing in the morning and very last thing at night. It was also how he played during the day. It, it was his way of interacting with others. He played one of those interactive live game formats. So it was how he connected with others who shared this interest with him. And it was very isolating for him. He felt like nobody in his family understood the game or were interested in it the way he was. And he was passionate about this game. When I approached it from a position of, I don't really know what this is. Can you help me understand it? He gave me a very detailed tutorial about this game and he was excited to share this with me. And rather than seeing it as a problem, I could see that this game was something that was really, really important and special for him. That being said, the prolonged use, he was spending at least 30 minutes in the morning, at least 30 minutes right before bed. And when we paired it back, two to three hours after school in the evening. It was totaling up to four hours a day on this game, on any kind of screen-based device. He was also beginning to use strategies of manipulation and control around his access to screen devices. His parents had made numerous attempts at putting timers and schedules and agreements in place. And while they set these up, It was very, very difficult to hold them because this little boy was really effective at taking back the charge. He decided that rather than a weekly agreement about screen use, they should have something that was about 30 minute intervals, three times a day over 30 days. And they agreed to this, but of course they couldn't sustain it. So there was all of these examples about putting rules in place and not sticking to them, which conveyed a mixed message to this little boy that What I say is not what I actually mean. When I spoke with his parents about it, they could be honest and say that there were times of the day when it just felt easier to give him the screen because he was quiet, he was content, he was happy. And while in our conscious minds as parents, we know that our children shouldn't spend prolonged periods of time on screen-based devices, I don't think there's a single one of us out there who hasn't used some kind of screen-based device at various times to buy ourselves a window of opportunity to get something done or just to read something or to have a time out for ourselves. And that's not something that I'm judging because that's real life. 
but it's how we convey this to our children and how we make sense of it for them that's going to affect their behavior. In this nine-year-old's case, his behavior was dramatically affected by screen use. He, his parents described sleep disruption. He was maybe only sleeping five or six hours a night. He was having very vivid, active dreams. His dreams were waking him. He seemed to be in a constant state of hyper arousal. What I mean by that is he was always on. It was like he was in meerkat mode, always looking around, needing the next big thing. It was go, go, go. He needed a constant feed of adrenaline just to stay engaged. And that was having a a profound effect on the family because his pace was deciding the family's pace. They weren't moving quick enough. We can't sit in the house and do anything. I can't wait for you. Let's go, 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 go. I want to go to the park. I want to go here. I want to do this. And it was constant, entertain me, stimulate me, give me more, more, more. When I understood a little bit more about the nature of the games and activities he was playing on screens, I came to know there were a lot of strategy games, war games, basically games that involved very high levels of adrenaline, hypervigilance, constant awareness, and that he had to have very quick reactions to, which was leading to this real life impulsivity. And his peak meltdown would be the point that his parents would say, no more, you've got to come off this now, you've been on it long enough, which would result in not just an anger outburst, but absolute rage. What I want to do now before I move into solutions with you is pick apart a little bit of the theory around this and what might be causing and going on for this little boy, who I think is actually really relatable for so many of us. We all know out there that the expert advice is for children under two years, zero access to screens. We also know from the research that the American Pediatric Association, and this was presented some years back at a Nokia conference in California, where they talked about children as young as one year old having watched a full length movie start to finish, which is about 90 minutes of uninterrupted screen time. They talked about children being able to make a phone call, use a phone, and anecdotally myself, I've sat in consultation rooms with parents who've talked about their very young children, under two years old, using their index finger and their thumb to try and stretch a book or a magazine picture when they're being read to, expecting it to grow like it does on a screen, or walking up and swiping the cover of a book, expecting it to come to life and turn on by doing so. And so we know that this is something that's huge. I don't want to get down into it. Oh my goodness, what are we doing to our kids? Because we we know you're not supposed to show it to them under two. We also know we are showing it to them under two. And rather than beat ourselves over the head with, oh, we shouldn't be doing this, let's look at what's going on behind it. In episode one of this podcast, I spoke to you about the stages of play that must happen. For these very young children, two, three years old, they really need to be in their messy, tactile, touching, sensory exploration type of play. Screen-based devices cannot afford them that opportunity. Without enough access to that type of play, they really don't develop a sense of containment, limits, and boundaries exactly this little boy was struggling with boundaries accepting the limits his parent was putting in place the other impact is at the age of about four and a half five years old when we are most likely to occupy and distract our children with screen-based devices they should be engaged in that all-important stage two narrative 
play where they are using stories and small world to deepen their understanding when they're developing those capacities for empathy critical thinking the perspectives of others cause and effect which means when I do something, it has an effect on somebody else. And I have to think about how my behavior impacts on others. Children don't just get that. They develop it through these very important stages of play. Play patterns change developmentally for children in middle childhood, which the little boy in my scenario is. Eight to 12 years old is that middle childhood stage. We see them move a little further away from the creative imaginative play into more structured, yes, including screen-based, but also team activities, cycling, skateboarding, scooters, football, those types of play become dominant for them. So it's quite normal for play to change, but we have to retain the relational, connected, interactive aspect of play, even at that stage, for it to be effective. I also want to add in here a little note to reassure everyone who may be sweating at this stage listening, as I say, don't be showing your small children any screens, that not all screens are created equal. And what I mean by that is if you have a television on in your sitting room that also has books, toys and other stimulus for your child available and you're in the corner, you might be reading or you might be watching something with them or even playing or they could be there on their own. The chances are they're not sitting staring unbroken at that TV screen. They're watching a bit, they're moving away, exploring their environment, their play, they're coming back, they're moving away. That's different. Also being with them in in the screen is something that's really helpful. So you would sit with them, you would talk about what you're watching, you would sing the songs and the shows that you're watching, you'd ask clarifications, who's this? What's happening? What do you think? Oh my goodness. That's something that breaks the intensity of screen-based stimulus. It's not the same as a child sitting in isolation, staring into the screen on their lap, unbroken for 20, 30, 40, even longer minutes. It's also worth noting that children are not born with an innate desire and interest about screens. It's something they learn from us, their parents in charge. It's another way of looking at the impact we can have and to positively reframe it rather than beating ourselves over the bush that we're causing this problem for them. If we can influence them, why not influence them in a positive way? Make sure that when your child looks up at you, you're not looking down at your screen. Because if every time they look at us, we're looking at a screen, we are teaching them that this is the most interesting, important thing. I love this device. That's what intrigues and interests me. And they're going to say, super, me too. I want that. This must be the most interesting thing in the world. Some research that was carried out by a Harvard psychologist, Catherine Steiner Adair, who actually wrote a book, uh, The Big Disconnect. She interviewed over a thousand children aged four to 18 years old and hundreds of parents and teachers. Out of her research, what she found was that children reported feeling exhausted, frustrated, angry, sad, talked about trying to get their parents' attention, competing with screens. And her research notes a correlation between how children speak about this and their feelings of it and actually sibling rivalry that comes up within families. So now I want to lower those panic levels that listening to this thus far may have caused you by moving us into solutions. Fear not, there's always solutions. If our child or children are really, really interested in screens, don't make it a battleground. Don't make it a power play opportunity because that's what it will become. 
I think one of the most effective ways that we can start this is by being interested in what interests our children. It's no longer acceptable to say, I don't know anything about screens. I'm a technological Luddite. I can't do this. It is incumbent on us to understand the capacity of a device before we put it in our children's hands. And if that means going to one of those techie shops and speaking to somebody who's very savvy and getting them to talk you through the capacity of the device, do that. That's going to be really helpful. Sit with your child and say, I can see how much you love this. This is the approach we took with that little boy I told you about at the start. I had his parents insert themselves into his digital world. They sat with him and said, we're really interested in this. Help us understand it more. They wore a headset and simply observed him at play. They asked him questions about it. And from there, we decided that we could turn his interest in the game into a storyboard. We broke it down into saying to him, you're the director. Pretend this is a movie now and you're the director. What's the story? What would you change? What would you add in? Let's write it down. Let's draw it out. And it made it much more relational for him. So it wasn't about saying, you can't play this game. You're never having screens again. It was about changing how he accessed it and changing how he interacted with it and by meeting him in that interest. I think as well you could take an approach of sitting down and drawing up a schedule right out Monday through Sunday and you, the parent, Put in the slots that you're happy for your child to be on a screen and have them write in between them and their siblings whose turn it is, who's going to be on what device and stick it to the wall. So when rules are broken and boundaries are pushed, as they will be, you can draw their attention back to the schedule that they were there to design with you. Using visual timers is something I think is really helpful as well. I'm talking about those large oversized sand timers. You can get them in 5, 10, 15, 20 minutes. I think 15 minutes is perfect. What you want to do is put the sand timer that they can see it but not necessarily reach it because children will be tempted to turn it when you're out of the room and buy themselves extra time. And you simply say when all the sand hits the bottom, the screen goes off. In this way, the end of time is happening with them rather than to them. Because if we simply come in and say, that's it, your time is up, or even if we set a phone to beep or an alarm to ring, it's still happening to them. And that can be a trigger for them, a meltdown of, well, I'm not ready. I didn't get time to wind down and end this. Because time is an abstract notion for children. And when we tell them they have 15 minutes left, We may as well say two weeks, but the sand timer is visual and it allows them to see their time going. One practical game I want to give you um, before we wrap up this episode is around impulse control because prolonged screen use can trigger that in children. Uh, One of the games I want to talk to you about with that is simply red light, green light. Have your child stand at one end of the room and when you say green light, they must make, make their way across the room to you by hopping. Every time you say red light, they must freeze. Every time you say green light, they must stop. Go, stop, go, stop is a really good way of addressing impulsivity. Another game that I mention in my book, 15 Minute Parenting, is toilet paper bust out, which I think is a great one for impulse control. All you need is a toilet roll and you get them to stand still. You can wrap them from their knees to their ankles or their shoulders to their hips with the toilet roll. They must wait, wait, wait. And on your cue, bust out. So they have to manage the impulse until you give them the cue. These are great ways of playing with impulse control. They're great alternatives to screen time. And they're really good ways to help you play with your child in a connected way. 
Thanks for listening. If you found this episode useful, subscribe, share with a friend, give us a like, all of which helps people find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. Be sure to come back next week for a new 15-minute parenting episode or check our archives for previous topics. You can find me on Instagram at Joanna Fortune. And between now and then, have fun.